Hey everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Nominous Animation Podcast. Today's guest is Dave Walter. I may have recorded this a bit ago, so those of you who do know him uh, probably will recognize that he's already had a kid for about a year now, so uh, just keep that in mind. But um, Dave's a pretty cool guy. His portfolio includes working as a storyboard artist on Penguins of Madagascar, Home, Kung Fu Panda 3, and the last time I spoke to him, he was working on Dragons 3. Okay, what should I just talk about? Yeah, something? that's fine. No, no, I'm just... Talk about, talk about, talk about. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be formal. I don't know uh, where you want to start, but I'd probably like to start with what inspired you to like get into animation. And not necessarily like a movie specifically, but what sure. was the feeling or what did you want to do or say? Sure. Um, what did I want to do or say? It's funny, the, the biggest motivator for me, I mean, I, I loved, I grew up loving cartoons and comics, but the biggest motivator for me to pursue animation as an adult was my failed attempt to become a comic book artist. Okay. And specifically, the fact that, like, I tried to sit alone in a room and draw by myself for eight hours and I'd go crazy. <laughs> right. And I had like, you know, addictions during that time that would flare up from being alone all the time. I was not emotionally healthy enough to be a solitary comic book artist. Right. So the, the main attractor for me with animation was like, oh, I can be an artist in a community of other artists. So it was really just trying to get away from like loneliness and get away from my own like shortcomings. Okay. So community was really the thing that drew me to animation, aside from my love for the art form itself. Does that yeah. answer your question? No, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. It's um, kind of weird. On the other side, like, was there any animated films or animation, which maybe growing up or even after sure. you had decided to get in that really pushed you? Yeah. Animation was like my third love. My first love was like comic strips. Right. Newspaper strips. Garfield was an early favorite. And then when I was nine... One of my buddies at school would trade me comic books for my pudding and my squeezits, <laughs> which was, I, I think, a, a great trade. Right. And a lot of them had, like, they were hand-me-downs from his brother, so the covers were falling off. But I didn't <laughs> care. I was like, this is gold. You can have all my pudding forever. <laughs> Jeez. And then animation, I was always aware of it, because you can't grow up as a kid in America and not be. But it really wasn't until I was 12, and I was watching Batman the Animated Series, and I remember I we just got a VCR that you could like had a freeze frame function you could like step through a frame at a time okay so I was like stepping through the opening credits and there was a moment when Batman like rears back and punches one of the criminals right and if you step through it a frame at a time there's a there's one screen that's pure white like right on impact and I was so impressed by that because I didn't see that at all like when I when I watch it in real time I felt the impact of that punch but when I freeze framed it on that white screen, I was like just entranced by the alchemy of this medium of animation. And in my, and it was almost like that white screen corresponded to my like 12 year old head exploding with the possibilities right. of the medium. And that was when I really started to love the inner workings of, of kind of the magic of animation and, and to see how it was both similar to the comics and the comic strips that I love, but also an extension in that it added time and movement and there's you know the element of film and magic on top of all of it so that was kind of where it started for me and then 
when I was, again, I left college thinking I'd be, I'd be a comic book artist and I saw The Incredibles. And that to me as an adult felt like the first animated film I'd seen that was actually a good movie. Right. Not just a good animated movie, but like a good film. Right. And to this day, it's it's one of my top five favorite like movies, live action or otherwise. I just think it's so well crafted. And I was like, if this is possible in animation, then I want to be a part of that. Right. So it was really the incredible. It's story. funny. I don't know if I talked to you before about it, but I think it was a tipping point for me too. Oh yeah. Because I wanted to get into video games, and then The Incredibles was kind of like, yeah, part of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, okay, so you said animation was your third. What's the second? Second was comic books. Oh, what's the, the first one was comic strips, like oh, in okay. a newspaper. Okay, I mean I it's a that. it's a minor distinction, but no, well, I think it's actually significant. Sure. Like the mediums utilized differently. Yeah, and the stories. Of course, my first comics that I I made my grandmother buy me, and when I went to visit her in Lincoln, Nebraska, were like Spider-Man stories. Okay. So it was all superheroes, which is a very different energy than you know the far side or Garfield that I grew up loving right so that was the next kind of iteration for me so strips to books and then animation was kind of the culmination okay so when you did go to school like um, was your focus on comic strips or art I was a business major I was (laughs) I was um I went to school thinking I was going to be a basketball star and, and a business major okay because the most important thing to me was to make money and be successful and be awesome okay um, and I'd had some negative experiences in junior high that led me to like shut down all the authentic parts of my personality and put on this mask of being a basketball player. I'm like, I'm almost seven feet tall. Right. People that don't know me. So it was very easy for me to just hide everything that I was behind that and just be a basketball player. And that included drawing. I stopped drawing really. Um, so when I came to college, I didn't know who I was. I just thought I'm gonna be successful and I'm gonna I'm gonna be awesome at basketball. Turns out I sucked at basketball. A, B, I almost failed my first economics class. So the first year of my college career, I was it was like a tailspin. I was like, what have I done? Who am I? What am I doing? And thankfully, a friend talked me into doing a um, a comic strip for the student newspaper in my junior year. After I'd kind of gotten back in like. I took a drawing class my first year of college because I thought it'd be easy because drawing was always very easy for me. Um, and it was, but the more classes I took, the more I, I realized that I really loved to, to draw. And it was more than just like a hobby. It was something that I could really be, really enjoy for my life. And my, my secondary fallback career, if business didn't work out, was to be a basketball shoe designer at that point as well, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, but ultimately decided that like comic strips and comic books and eventually animation was better because of the storytelling component. Like you can tell a story with a shoe. Yeah. But you can tell a lot more complex and uh, compelling story with drawings and words. At what point did you like have this realization or epiphany, or was it one moment? Which one? Like when you decided like I'm gonna go comic books. Was were you already? Did you already graduate? Um, my junior year, I did the comic strip, and it okay. was really well received. Okay. And in some senses, like those last two years of my college career, okay. are still like to feel to me like two of the most successful years of my entire life. Because okay. it was like everybody on campus would wait for my comic strip that would come out in the paper every week. And I look back now, and they're they're awful. They're barely funny if you went to school there. If right. you didn't go to school there, they're not funny okay. at all. <laughs> but it was so fun to have an audience and to feel that connection of like yeah. people of communication. And so the deeper I went into that, I just felt drawn to comic books and kind of started trending in that direction. And then my last year at college, I did a, um, 
a uh, independent project, like a just a, a small comic book, like a horror story, twenty page horror story, just for fun. Really enjoyed it, so I thought I'd be going in that direction eventually. Okay. Yeah. So so you graduated thinking you were gonna make a career. Yeah. In comic strips. Yeah, and I got a job drawing caricatures out of out of college, which yeah. is you know drawing people's faces at theme parks for money. Right. Which is great. It's like one of the last remaining like true apprenticeship situations where you can get paid to draw in America. Yeah. I mean, it, I <laughs> I did that for like four summers, and I don't I don't. I didn't enjoy it, but I got it was good for me in, in other ways. So that was my next step. Was like, look, I'll do this until I get break in as a comic book artist. Was the plan? Right. Yeah. And uh, you were, you were still, you were in LA yet, right? No, I was in Minnesota. Okay. I went to school in South Dakota, and I went to Minnesota afterwards to draw caricatures. Right. And we already talked about your story, but if you don't like mine, sure. Kind of getting into, yeah, the 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 way you got into animation or sure the decision to anyways. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm kind of curious though, like why you ended up doing animation. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like what's a succinct version of this story. Um, the short answer is that my life kind of fell apart. Right. And I found God. <laughs> <laughs> as like glib as that sounds to say like there was a massive shift in my life when I was in my early 20s where I realized that everything that I was doing was just not working for me um, and how do I explain this I know this is a podcast it's supposed to be about animation so I don't want to no, it's fine. Into like let me think so, I mean, essentially what happened was I, I had to leave Minnesota because I, I had a drug habit and I was living with the guy who was my drug dealer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I, I got to get out of here. So I went, to, um, I went to England to a place called Labrie, which um, was started by a guy named Francis Schaefer, and he was a theologian who opened up his home and welcomed anybody who wanted to come share meals with him, and they could ask any question they wanted. So it's a great place for me to kind of ask questions about faith and about God and about who I was and, and what I was created for and these, these, you know, these really heavy questions that I've been avoiding for a lot of my life. And it was also a form of drug, drug rehab for me to get away from my dealer and all those unhealthy patterns okay. of my life. And after, I, after three months in Libri, I thought, you know what, like, I feel like Clearly, I'm not good on my own. I'm not good being a solitary artist. It's not healthy for me. And I love The Incredibles. I love animation. So I'm not married. I don't have any, like, thing weighing me down. Why not chase the dream and move to L.A. and pursue animation? So okay. that was. So I moved back from England, and I moved to uh, California right after that, when I was, like, 24. Okay. Yeah. And what was the first thing you did when you got there? I got a job drawing caricatures at Knott's Berry Farm. Okay. Hey. Oh man, and I had to wear like long sleeve western shirts and jeans in like 110 degree weather, huh. and try to hustle people into sitting down so I could draw them. This I I was I told you I did the Lord Rush art at Disneyland, but I don't think yeah. our outfits were that like really hot. I don't remember. 
Yeah, it's I, cooler because it's in Anaheim too. I think we got like ten or fifteen degrees. Well, I mean, Disneyland's only like ten or fifteen minutes away from Knotts. Oh, you're right, Knotts. I'm thinking of Universal. Yeah, the problem nice. with Knotts is that it, I was in the Old West town. Okay. So I had to dress the part. Right. So it was super hot. I'm trying to remember Fantasyland. I had the big baggy like sleeved thing. Uh, okay. It's kind of like Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> It Do you still have it? Do you still wear it? No, I don't. Oh, they maybe turn it man. in. <laughs> see, the cool thing about being tall is Knott's had to custom make me a Western oh, outfit, so, so I got to it. keep it. Yeah, I still have those shirts. I wear them. They're falling apart, but I really oh. like It's one of my best-fitting shirts. <laughs> right as long as the lead, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, all right, so after Knott's. Yeah, so I, I, I moved in with my aunt and uncle in Huntington Beach. I worked at Knott's Berry Farm, and my uncle was kind enough to build me a little makeshift desk in the closet of the room I was staying at. Oh, right and I would draw all day at Knott's Berry Farm, and I would come home, and I would study animation and study character design, and I would draw and draw and draw. And one time I remember I had this, like, bowl of, like, you know, like, blue color erase pencils? When you get down to the nubs, you can't use them anymore? Right. I had a bowl of those, uh-huh. just a bowl of pencil nubs. And I remember one time I was drawing, and I was so tired of drawing that I was literally dry heaving. I was so sick of the act of drawing. Mm-hmm. So that was not a... A high point, but I look back on that time. I mean, it was, it, you know, it, it was a fond time in my life because I was very committed, and my right. life was very laser focused on this one goal of like working in animation. That's cool. And it took me five years to, yeah. <laughs> from that point to get in, but that was where it began. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Huntington Beach, and then where did where did you go from there? Um, I moved to Santa Clarita. Okay. I thought that maybe Cal Arts would be a good fit. I went on a on a um, I went on a. Uh, and this is how many years in? This is like a year later. Okay. So I did like maybe six to eight months at Knott's Berry Farm, then I moved up to Santa Clarita. I had okay. a, a friend from high school that was living there, so we, we roomed together. Okay. But I I took a tour of Cal Arts, and I was I was convinced that like this is the place for me. Like this is an amazing right. place. And then I saw the price tag, and I was like, "F that!" Like, I'm okay. not paying like <laughs> yeah. forty grand a year for like four years for another bachelor's degree that I, you know, I already had one. So right. I said, "Okay, so I'm just going to not go to Cal Arts. I'm going to just do it independently and just take classes and try to work on it on my own in my free time." And I had to get a job, so I started substitute teaching. I taught high school science for a semester. I taught high school photography for a year. I got laid off. So there's like three or four years where I was just just the grind of trying to work in my free time trying to get better trying to get better and just not getting anywhere not finding any leads taking classes at the guild taking classes from Steve Silver like as much as I could afford as much as I could get my hands on trying to grow and just getting nowhere and being really frustrated and actually I remember during that time I tried to quit drawing two or three times I was like forget it I'm done with animation I can't cut it it's not going to be it's not realistic and I got really defeated and really sad couple of times where it's just like man is this ever going to happen so that was tough that was kind of those were the kind of the low points for me really and and then uh so how in santa clarita how long were you there and um i actually was there until two years ago okay. so i lived there from i'm really bad with the dates that's fine no i mean like i guess that was the question i'm asking to like 13 like six years okay yeah well, actually, the question I meant to ask was how long before cause you told me you eventually ended up caving and going to Kellard's. Yeah, and so. yeah. So a couple interesting thing ha- things happened. Um, I got laid off of my teaching job, and I went back to work at Magic Mountain drawing caricatures. Okay. And I, here I am, I'm like, you know, 27, right. 28, drawing caricatures, and like I failed in some ways. Not that there, that was failure for... Um, 
by definition, but for me it felt like it was I didn't want to do that, so I felt like I'd failed. And the big difference for me actually was a very tragic event, which is that my father passed away kind of unexpectedly when I was 28. It was actually three days after my first date with Amanda, okay, the girl who eventually became my wife, who is right now downstairs pregnant, <laughs> about to have a baby any, any second now. Um, our first date happened that weekend my dad passed away. So it had a couple of effects on me. Um, obviously, it kind of put the brakes on Amanda and I's relationship, but it really made me consider, like, what... I guess, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's like you only get one life. You know, like, you have... You're on the earth once, <laughs> I believe, and you, what you do... Like, it's a tremendous gift to be alive. And you like what you do with your life is your response to the gift of, of being given life. And I felt convicted that, um, that I had kind of wasted it and that I had been fearful and that I hadn't really committed myself fully to my dream. Um, and I felt like God had more for me. Um, and I thought, you know what? If, like, my dad is dead. And I wondered, like, would I, if I died, would I have regrets? Would I, you know, if I just was a teacher and I never pursued animation, would I be sad about that? And really the effect it had on me was this desire to take a massive risk and feel like I'm going to be dead regardless. You know, I'm going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to live forever and I want to enjoy this life while I have it. I want to take risks and feel fully alive. And so that risk in the moment was applying to CalArts and taking out a gigantic loan and saying, okay, I'll try this, see if it happens, see if it works. And that was not, not easy. You know, it's a lot of money, but it seemed like um, it seemed like a good investment at the time. So that was two thousand and eight. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I'm not expecting you. Yeah. To <laughs> but uh, I think you said it was about four years ago that you graduated. So yeah, because I've been in DreamWorks for four years now. So okay. So it must have been six years ago because I spent two years at CalArts. Okay. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if you want to fast forward a little bit. Like, you graduate, get to DreamWorks. Sure. Well, I didn't or, actually graduate. Uh, no, you didn't graduate. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. think many people do, do they? That's what I always hear. Some do. Oh, yeah. Okay. Some do. It depends on the student. Some people, it used to be that if you were there longer than two years. You failed. <laughs> yeah. It used okay. to be like anybody good got snatched up. Yeah. There's enough people now. Like, I just, I st like right now I teach at CalArts and... Last year, this year, we have 175 students enrolled. Okay. So there's just a lot more students than there used to be. So you see a lot, like last year, a handful of the best films that were made at Calif were made by fourth-year students that could have left early and gotten jobs, but chose to stay and learn. So it's a different atmosphere now hmm. than, than it used to be. Yeah, I don't want to pay that whole four years. <laughs> I know, I didn't want to either. I was, yeah. So, yeah, but I, did, I didn't graduate. I, um, I was there for two years. And yeah, it was a, it was a great time. Cool. And what was your first movie you worked on? The f uh, at DreamWorks. Yeah. At DreamWorks, I was um, I was part of the training department, so okay. I, I was a trainee. Okay. Which is nice for me in that they it, they they train you for six months oh, wow. before they put you on a movie, so it feels like really great at the time. The downside of being a trainee or an intern in the feature animation business is that they lock you into a very low level of pay. Okay. So like, here's the industry minimum, 
and because you are a trainee, they can pay you a lot less. Yeah. So it's kind of lame. Um, but I was happy to be there, right. for sure. Um, and the first movie I worked on was Penguins of Madagascar. Okay. Yeah. Right on. And then you moved into Kung Fu Panda 3. Then I, I did a year and a half on on Penguins, and I did about a year and a half on Home. Oh, okay. And then I don't I, think we, you ever talked to me about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then I moved, yeah, Panda, I've been on Panda for the last eight months, and my last day was Friday, so. Okay. Right on. And then, of course, you're, you're going to Dragon School right now. Yes. Dragon, as soon as my baby is born, I go back to work, and it's How to Train Your Dragon 3. Yeah, all right, cool. Which I'm very excited about. What was the thing you were telling me about flight school? or? Oh, just that they have a thing called flight school that the yeah. animators put together where right. it's, it's where all the animators have to take these classes that teach them how to animate, you know, how dragons fly. Because yeah. the cool thing about How to Train Your Dragon is that that world has such specific dragons and they each fly differently. Like the Garonkle is like a, a cross between a bumblebee and like a Harley Davidson, right? <laughs> yeah. It just like hovers and whereas like toothless is very he's like a salamander but he has a very like classical kind of like wing beat so just understanding the physics of yeah of that is important for me as a story artist to be able to like convincingly convey takeoff and landing and it's a very demanding show i'm excited and i think it's going to stretch me in a lot of ways that's totally rad yeah. <laughs> is the story coming along or yeah right. yeah i read the, f- the third draft of the script and I can't say too much about it other than that I was very excited cool. to work on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved it's always some cool to... great moments, great ending, yeah. I mean just some great new characters, really surprising new characters, so yeah, it's very It's very cool. cool to be like on a project you actually want to be on. Oh man, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah it really is. So uh, uh, I guess that kind of, that brings us to today, but I also wanted to talk to you about... Um, like what what you find in your journey like as an artist now like what keeps the fire burning and what challenges you and also like later on down the road where do you want to go like where do you see yourself taking it okay let's those are, that's a lot of questions okay let's, big questions. all right all right let's go with um uh how do you keep the fire how do you keep that fire in your belly for art hmm in what you're doing as uh, at home and what you're doing at work. Sure. Well, I do. Um, that's such a layered question. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I think I learned quickly, and this is something that a lot of people will tell you, is that it's important to have a creative outlet outside of your industry job, because my job at DreamWorks is to do what I'm told. Now, they want me to bring my creative best to the table and to make my sequences the best that I can make them possibly be. But the things that I'm being invited to do are, t- are almost never defined by me. And that can, despite how creative or engaged I might be in the project, that can tend to um, make me feel stagnant after a time. So it's important to have a side gig where you're the one calling the shots. Not because of... Um, ego or like needing to be the man but just like I think it's healthy for creative individuals to have at least a pocket of their life where they can feel the freedom of creative expression and that's one of the main ways I find of keeping that fire going and oftentimes for me it's like I get four or five hours on a Saturday 
and to work on the comic book that I'm making, which is like a memoir of my life called Mascot of Zodiac, is that on Saturdays I'll work on it, and I, I may finish a page, I may not. Right. But it's enough to, to give me that taste of what it's like to really be, to have that freedom that helps me get through the week when there's assignments that are tough or challenging or that I don't feel invested in. One of the biggest things that I um, didn't know going into the industry that I learned was that like one of the best tools to have is the ability to motivate yourself to work on things that don't necessarily catch your fancy, right? Right. Like learning how to like hack your own willpower so that you can execute whatever needs to be executed is a challenge for sure that I'm still learning. Right. Um, but that's a really, really crucial tool to have. But it's nice to have projects where you don't need to use that skill. Right. Where you can just say, I love this. I'm so excited about it. I just want to make it. Yeah. That's good too. Uh, I'll sense we're on the topic. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your comic? Sure. So, um, I don't know, just like, like what's it about? What inspired you? And Yeah. So you can also I, plug it too, so people who are listening can look. I actually don't. I've yeah. I don't self promote it very much because I found that that's not fun for me. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not like expecting it to make a lot of money. Right. So, but I'm happy to mention it, and I do have a lot of it online on my website at davidwalter.com. But the comic is a memoir in twelve chapters. When I was in my mid twenties, I had this realization that so much of my life could be explained in terms of the mascots that I had chosen or been assigned throughout my life and that's not just like sports mascots or school mascots but that's also like a stuffed animal my favorite stuffed animal when I was a kid or um, you know like a sticker that I found on the side of the road of a, of a bat that like changed my life completely when I was five years old so I've, I've always been keyed into animals and I found that there were like 12 stories that are a about um, the power of animal symbols and how they transform us and how they allow us to be bigger and different and more powerful than we are in real life. But B, those 12 stories are kind of, it's really a coming of age for me about like how I, how I grew up. So it's really a coming of age story told through the lens of 12 different animal symbols. So hence the word Zodiac, kind of the circle of 12 animals. And yeah, it's all about, for, for 10 years I was convinced I was gonna write like a book about mascot theory Okay. <laughs> like explaining it on an intellectual right. level and like trying to like research the history of mascots and like they came over like the first one was in the 1880s and it was like Harvard, John the Orange Man, this guy used to sell oranges. It's like, okay. so I know I have all this useless knowledge about mascots. Right. And I, I was talking to my sister, Lindsay, one day and she's great. It's great to have people in your life that just call you on your BS. And she's <laughs> like, hey, I don't care at all about your mascot theory junk <laughs> I care about you right so that was a really instrumental conversation for me to realize that like unless it was personal right people wouldn't care so I've tried to take those ideas I have about like why are mascots powerful and important and try to f try to get those ideas like use my own story as a way to dramatize those ideas to make them understandable if that makes any sense at all no that does so that's really cool. At this rate, I will be done in about eight years. <laughs> I mean, I'm hopefully sooner, but it's just a, it's a labor of love right now, and I'm really enjoying it. So, hopefully, if you can like, get some funding, you can take a hiatus from your actual job. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be ideal, but yeah, that may not be in the cards. So, we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of like 
your passions go, would you say that's definitely what you're, that's something that you wanted to do versus like, that's your, that's your dream. That's your passion. And then what you do at work is, you know, you can express yourself, but that's not really the end goal for you. Yeah. So. Because I know people who have Joe Schmo jobs and they come home and do art. Right. And, uh, I think like I talk to artists who work in the industry and they feel almost the same that someone with a Joe Schmo job would have. I don't know if that's cynicism or... No. I think it's t- it's hard because the animation industry is a business first and foremost. Right. And the things that get made are the things that are going to sell. Yeah. So if you go into the industry looking for self-expression, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Right. Right? Do you get excited for anything though? Of course. I... I um, my one of my first mentors told me he's like you should try as far as it is possible for you to align the things that you do with your day job in the industry with the things that you actually love to do in real life so if you love these kinds of movies then try to bring that into your work like that's the way to keep engaged is to find out what makes you tick okay. and then try to like infuse that into everything that you do so, for example, when I was on Penguins, I was very disillusioned because I don't particularly care for the Madagascar franchise. Right. And I hadn't, up till that point, hadn't seen myself as a comedic board artist. I thought I was more drawn to Incredibles, more drawn to Dragons by far, um, just because of the, the epicness and the dramatic nature of it and the emotion was authentic, whereas in Madagascar, I never feel a thing except exhaustion, to be <laughs> frank. Like, okay. I appreciate the 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 work that goes into it and I know those guys they work hard and they're super talented and there's some great jokes yeah some of my best friends have worked on those movies but they leave me feeling very flat right so when I was on Penguins I had the chance to see the um, making of How to Train Your Dragon that's, I think it's on YouTube now and there's this moment where like they're in the studio with John Powell as he's playing the piano part as a hiccup realizes he's missing a leg and it's just like this super touching moment and I'm like in the audience just like weeping my face off and I leave there I'm like I there's something there that I need to pursue there's right. some kernel of who I am that's in that movie and I'm not I'm not gonna, I'm not the director I'm not expressing myself but yeah. I want to align my passions with what I'm doing okay in my life so that began a year and a half process for me of like talking to the guys on the dragons team and saying hey because dragons 2 was going on at the same time yeah and I wasn't on that movie but I was like how do I get to be on Dragons? What do I have to do to right. make my passion a reality in my day job? And so they're like, great, we'll just do a storyboard test. Just make up a scene. So okay. I was like, okay. So I did, and I was like asking them questions. I had lunch with all the guys I thought could influence that. I, I asked questions about it. I did, I boarded two different sequences. I pitched them back. I got feedback. I changed them. Eventually I got to a point where I was ready to pitch to Dean and he was super kind and encouraging. And like, so I let them know that I wanted to do this thing. Yeah. And I think that's really important when you get into the industry is to like, not just like be cynical and throw up your hands and say, ah, this, this is a business and I hate it and I'll just be creative when I go home. Like as much as it's possible, align your passions with what's going on in the studio and make known your desires and say, hey, I really want to be on Dragons. And I told everybody about it. I'm like, this is what I want. <laughs> yeah. This is really, really what I want. And then when Dragons 3 came up, they are like, hey, we'd love for you to be on our team. And I was, like, ecstatic. So now I start that in a couple of months. And, I'll, and you know, you can ask me again in six months how that experience has been. But <laughs> right. I, 
guarantee you I'm going to be more engaged than I was on Penguins. However, one caveat I would say, if you find yourself on Penguins and you don't care for that kind of tone of film, that doesn't mean that you can't learn and that you can't grow. Um, my mentor on Penguins is a guy named Derek Dryman who was one of the masterminds behind the SpongeBob back in the day. He's like the second guy to come on that show and he's right. just, he's a genius. He's literally, like, I've never laughed so hard at anybody's boards as I laughed at Eric. So he, I, I learned everything I could from him about how to create comedy and how to be this fountain of ideas and how to not censor myself. And so there's always something to learn, even in the worst situation, the worst studio and the worst job, there's always something that you can be learning. I think that's another important component of how you keep that fire alive. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. And actually, I kind of like what you talked about with the emotional scenes, because when I do talk to you, you care about character development mm. and their and the character story, which seems to be the biggest. I, and I, I for me, uh, that's that's really big for me too. So, um, I, I kind of like I kind of what am I trying to say? I see you light up when you talk about that, and that's kind of what I was, that kind of goes back into what I was talking about with um, the fire that you have. Yeah, like if that single thing drives you, and it's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Like just for yeah. one more, one more segue, but yeah, it's uh, if you want to like, or if you sound like you're gonna elaborate. Yeah, I think that um, that's a good question, or um, connection. I think that, and I think I've told you this before, that like, it, excuse me. I think if you're going to make a career. As an artist, it is, it is important to be a student of yourself. Self-knowledge is crucial. And specifically, knowledge of those moments and situations that make you light up. Like knowing yourself well enough to know what makes you light up. And then thinking about that and picking it apart and saying, why? Why does this make me light up? What is it about this and me? And to a degree, you can't put your finger on it because if you could, if you could explain it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be drawn to it. So there's some mysterious thing that you feel pulled towards. There's this great John, John Prime song where he talks about the sacred coal that burns inside of us. And I think there's some element of like material that you're drawn to. It's like the reason you're put on earth to tell stories about those things, to pay attention to those things. And as much as possible to try to pursue stories that, that make you activate and make you light up. Um, there's a great, great article by a guy named Charlie Peacock. That's his real name. He's a songwriter, like in Nashville. He's also a Christian and really thoughtful guy. There's this fantastic art, uh, article or essay about becoming a songwriter. And he talks about how, like, remembering all of your peak musical experiences throughout your life and taking those things and 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 taking them out of your memory and like examining them in the light and then like building a he calls it like building a house out of those influences and that's the house that you live in for your life for your career as an artist and those walls and those windows and those doors are the things that you choose by your own passion that you choose to live in and I think there's I mean when we talk about being made by a creator with intent and being crafted for a purpose, I absolutely believe that those things that make you light up, those 
pieces of your house that you build are placed in you by God. And if I can quote scripture, I don't know if this is that kind of podcast. Go for it. But I talked to you about this before too. Like Psalm 139 says, you formed my inward parts. And the direct Hebrew translation for inward parts is kidneys, which seems like a weird thing to say. But the kidney for the Hebrew, kidney was the symbolic seat of desire. Just like for us in America, the heart is the symbolic seat of romantic love. So what he's saying there is like, God, you gave me my desires. And that to me is even more reason to look at what it is that makes you tick, what it is that makes you light up as the engine for the career that you will have as an artist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I think that's all I have to say about that right now. No, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. But that's a great topic. Like that thing, you could talk about that forever. Well, that wraps up episode three. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about David Walter, go to davidwalter.com. That's Walter with an O, W-O-L-T-E-R. Also, if you'd like to know more about us, check us out at nominousanimation.com.